This is Drex One. Welcome to another episode of the History of the Bay podcast, sponsored by the good folks of Amoeba Music San Francisco and the good folks at Dying Breed San Francisco for all your custom Frisco Bay Area gear and your graffiti supplies. Today in the building, behind the lens, we got King Said, we got Rocky Vision, we got Skino over there producing. We got Dio on the boards, and today we have a very special guest, a legend in the Frisco community, big bro, uncle, a mentor to many, the one and only Herm Lewis. What's up? What's up? What's up, Herm? Oh, it's good. Thanks for coming through, man. Appreciate you, bro. Without a doubt. Yeah, we've been building. uh, We've been building a lot this year, and um, I really enjoyed reading your book. Uh, remind me the title again. Um, Harmless trying to but a lesson learned. Yes. Yeah, a lesson learned from a Hunters Point Street soldier. Yeah. So you gave me that book. I got to read it earlier this year, and uh, that gave me a lot more insight into your story. For those who don't know, I mean, the compilation King, the original, trying to survive in the ghetto, uh, that set things off. Uh, a Black Power Productions. But aside from that, I mean. There's just a lot to your story, bro, and uh, I want to get right into it. Yep, yep, let's do it. So, for those who don't know, uh, where were you born and raised? I was born and raised in San Francisco, Hunters Point, Bayview District, Harbor Road, West Point, Double Rock. And what was HP like when you were growing up? It was was a beautiful place. It was because it wasn't... When I was growing up, the, the violence, it wasn't no violence. It was just, you know, fun, athletic activities, the Boys and Girls Club, uh, Hunters Point Gym, Joseph Lee Gym. So we grew up on activities like that. And you have a, a large family, a lot of uh, brothers and sisters. Yes, yes. I had uh, five brothers. It was five brothers, three sisters. Two of my brothers got murdered. Yeah. Um but Rodney was my youngest brother, which was, um, he was the hardest of the family. He's a real strong young dude. Uh, he's like Debo. Hmm. When he showed up, people that didn't know him or that had problems with him was intimidated of him. And uh, he got killed in, what, 90, 92. 92, 93 he got killed. And then my other brother, uh, D. Lou, which was, just as hard. He got killed in 2002 after doing uh, eight years in the federal penitentiary. He get released. And um, the circumstances of the hood had changed after eight years. So once he got released, the, the guys that was on the porch prior to him going to jail was off the porch, was slanging, banging, carrying guns, and um, a disagreement happened between my niece and her dude. So my brother, you know, old school, he came up, put hands on the young cat, and the other young cats, they just pulled out on him and killed him, not knowing who he was because they was on the porch when he was out here. Right, right, So they didn't know who he was, and they killed him, and... Come to, oh, that's Herm, brother, that was D-Lou. You know, then it was just a big old thing. That's, um, sorry for your losses. Mm-hmm. 
And rest in peace to your brothers. But I mean, it's just interesting because you're talking about the, from the beginnings up to 2002. I think that right there just reflects the change of the violence coming into the community that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. You know, at that time, at that time, it was it was separation. It was you know, and then initially it was just Hunters Point was considered Harbor Road, West Point. Oakdale, Double Rock, and all the other little sets in between was just all considered Hunters Point. Third Street was Hunters Point. Yeah. And then uh, once all the separation, everybody wanted their own individual set. So now we got Crusader, we got Palouse Street. We got, you know, every, it just got too separated. Right. To where everybody was pretty much isolated to their own blocks. And that's where the money stopped. That's where the violence escalated, and um, individuals just wasn't uh, comfortable interacting with other with other brothers from the same neighborhood, and and it it affected everybody. And going back to your roots, your your family was raised by a single mother, correct? Yep, single mom. I don't know how she did it. Best mom in the world, you know. And uh, for her to be able to d- deal with us, we 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 was hard. You know, my brothers was harder than me. And um Are you the were you one of the younger? No, I'm the I'm the third oldest. Okay. But uh for my mom to be able to deal with us, you know, because we wasn't just accepting any man coming in the house. We was like that. If you wasn't coming in and we didn't like you, we you we was pushing you out. And moms was, you know, she had she had some challenges, but she was so influential. Um with us to where she can give us a certain look <laughs> and we gonna, we gonna submit to her authority. That's the type of mom I, I, I have. She's still around today and uh, she's older and I just had a conversation with her because she's going through her physical, some health issues. So I just had a conversation with her and said, look, mommy, you know, at this stage of the game, we gotta make some decisions for you. Now, you've been bossing us around, and even now, I'm 62, <laughs> even now, you know, she could say a certain word, and to me, all my brothers and sisters, we all turn 15. I'm like, man, we got to quit doing that, okay? We got we to, gotta, you know, stand strong together and let her know, man, mommy, you can't keep bullying us, okay? Out of respect, we got to make some decisions to help you. So, so she, you know, and it's been working out. It's a trip how life Turns always, you know, that's part of life. It goes down that road where uh, you, you end up being the one that has to take care of your, your parents. Yeah. So your name, the name Herm is not your birth name. No. <laughs> <laughs> the whole story. <laughs> How did you get the name Herm? Man, uh, you know, I got the name Herm. You know, I was, uh, I went to the local barbershop, got a haircut, and it was fucked up. They like, man, you look like Herman the Monster. That's what I, I went to school the next day at Mission High School, and uh, my partner Thaxter Arterberry, you know, he was a basketball star. So he like, man, Herman the Monster. You know, they start calling me Herman the Monster, and that stuck for that first year. And then as my popularity grew, uh, they took the monster part off and just started calling me Herm. And then Herm just stuck. It just stuck, you know, and. Uh, but I got that. I got that from uh, a fucked up haircut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, and, and you're going to Mission High School, so now you're getting outside of Hunters Point and you're meeting other kids from Frisco and going into other different communities. And how was the vibe of, of San Francisco in those days as in, in the city community? You know, it was cool because um Dad, you know, every everybody from Hunters Point went to Mission. You know, they uh, when they saw segregating, indicating people, indicating the school. Integrating, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if you say Because you also got Burton and Thurgood that's close to. Yeah, to but see, point. Burton and Thurgood was Wilson at the time. That's right, that's right. It was Wilson High School, and everybody from Double Rock, Double Rock and uh, Hollister, most of them went to Wilson. Got it. Everybody from Harbor World and, and, and West Point. Went to mission. Yeah. And it was cool interacting with different nationalities because, you know, it was just a good vibe. And I was in the sports. That was my motivation to go to school, to be on the basketball team. So as long as basketball and football was in effect, I'm at school applying myself because you have to maintain a certain grade point average to even be on the team. So that, you know, that right there kept me in the sports. And back then, that's how we acquired our reputation. Right. You know, initially it was through going to school, uh, playing sports. And if you was a star in sports, you know, the women wanted to be in your presence. And after that, you know, you, you went to college and you played sports. And, you know, and that's where I got distracted at. <laughs> Yeah, you mentioned your, your couple of your brothers were getting involved in the streets, and then at a certain point, you you started dabbling yourself, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's like my we all was. I started when I was in Mission High School. This was a trip. I was at Mission High School. I'm playing basketball. I'm playing basketball, but I started selling weed, right? I started selling weed. That's kind of like a Frisco tradition. Too. Yeah, it's a tradition. Yeah. Yeah. So I started selling Everybody weed. Everybody sells a little bit of yeah, weed yeah, at yeah. some point. Right, right. So yeah. I started selling weed, but then I have always had the biggest joints, the biggest bags or whatever. So I'm in class, and kids, guys, like, arm. I'm in class. They knock it on the window. Like, arm. What's up, arm? I need some, let me get some. I'm like, dude, I'm in class. I'm in my science class. I'm trying to graduate. And it just became too difficult for me to continue to go to school because when I'm in class, I'm getting money. So I just started going to school. I'm hustling. I'm half-assed going to class. And um, and I end up getting through. You know, I mean, I end up getting through, but um, that's when my, 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 my hustling career began. Because after, after, after mission, I had a couple of lightweight scholarships to play, play ball, but I wasn't committed. I started... You know, I became committed to the streets more, getting my money that way. And uh, I never did pursue the college basketball career. I wasn't, I, I mean, I was good. I was good. I had a, a uh, UC Santa Barbara gave me a, uh, gave me an offer. And uh, I just didn't pursue it the way I should have. But uh, I got in the game. Yeah, and that's interesting. So we're talking before the the crack era and, and what probably most people think of when they think of hustling, but the weed game was booming in, in Frisco. Oh, it was booming. Oh, yeah, it was booming, you know. That's when we used to roll up the joints. 
I used to be out there, man, right there on third with 200 joints every morning, and they gone. Yeah. 500 joints. Two for what? Two for five, five for $3 or whatever it was. But, you know, money was coming like that. Everybody that was going to school was smoking weed or getting, you know, you buy so many from Harm, take them to schools, you know, sell them for a higher price or whatever. You know, but it was it was always been about hustling. Was there anyone in the community, in the neighborhood that you were, like, looking up to or that was, like, lacing your boots in that sense in terms of, like, as you're getting deeper into that world? Um. You know, I knew this. This was one guy named his name was Blackhead. You know, he was a he was he was he was a he was a, he was a, a star in 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 the drug game. Uh, James Keith, these guys was older, but they took a liking to me because of my because of my character and because of my, my 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 hustle. They took a liking to me, so they sort of like um, put me under their wing. And then it was also uh, this guy named Fishman. He became like a father to me, you know. I never met my father, my biological father. I never met him. So Fishman sort of like become my my, my father. So I'm, I'm hustling, and one day I think I had probably like $1,000. But I seen a, a car that I wanted to buy. So I go to him. I say, Fishman, I'm going to go buy this car. It was a Thunderbird, Suicide Doze, 67, clean as fuck. And he said, boy, let me tell you something. Give me that $1,000, take this weed, go sell this weed, then go buy the car, and you're going to still have some money. Right. I'm like, okay. <laughs> he gave me a pal, right? I sold it. I done just what he told me to do. Went and bought the car, and, it, and now I'm rolling. Now I got money, you know, to continue to, to flip. I done painted the car. The car done attracted one of the finest females in, in Hunters Point. That 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 approached me, and that's when my 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 herm status went from here to here. You know, it's levels. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. my herm status went from here to here right. when I met this this young lady. Yeah, you know, and uh, so I'm riding around with her, and people are like, man, herm doing it. Yeah, you know, so the right woman will will, will definitely elevate you. Yeah, because it'll have people wondering how he do that. Right, right. How he get that? Right, right, right. He must right. be doing something right. Right, right, right. And this, so as as I was saying, so this is before uh, um, crack is coming out, but at a certain point, um, it does hit the streets. It hit the streets. And, you know, um, when crack hit the streets, I was, uh, I was selling coke, just powder. Mm-hmm. You know, I was selling ounces of powder. So you really getting deeper and deeper. Yeah, yeah, I was in, that. when crack hit the street, I was selling powder mm-hmm. and weed. But I was also getting loaded on the powder, snorting powder, putting it, putting powder. That was like seeing some fly shit back then too, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was yeah. considered fly shit. But and I people didn't really trip off it being like harmful. No, work. no, no. Yeah. People, every because you would still function. Right. You still you could still function. But if you me, I I, I be I'm an extremist, so I became discombobulated and start tweaking. So I'm you know snorting powder. Uh, Leaving my my guys on the block for two days. I'm locked up in a hotel, fucking off an ounce of powder, you know, and that wasn't good. And then, um, you know, we used to put the powder in the in the weed. Mm-hmm. Chewies, it just, yeah, it just. But then Chewies came when they saw Chewies 
when they started putting crack in the weed, mm-hmm. that's what fucked up. That's what fucked me up. Because, like, at first we put the powder in the weed, you smoke the weed, you'd be good. You know, you can still function. Go to the parties and kick it and all the shit, right? And then um, one day, one day, I'm with this young lady, and she said, Herm, let's try this. Let's roll up a um, let's roll up a chewy joint. And that's when she bought brought, had some crack. And she put it in there. And she and I smoked that shit and I didn't want powder no more. I did not want to fuck with no powder no more. So I'm smoking the chewies every goddamn every time I smoke weed now. I'm putting that shit in it and I'm tweaking, right? And one day, one day, I'm out, I'm in double rock. We'll never forget, I'm in double rock, and um, and I had some I had some crack for the but I didn't have no weed. And this chick, she out there, this bitch knew what she was doing. I see her right now. I don't fuck with her. This bitch out there, she say, Herm, I got some uh, I got some weed at the house. I'm like, all right, it's about 12 o'clock. I walk up to the bitch house. She go in there, act like she's looking for some weed. Say, oh, I can't find it. I got this though. She bitch pull out a crack pipe. Try this, Herm. My dumb ass tried it. Now I don't want no weed no more. Right. Now I'm straight up on, I'm smoking crack. Yeah. Toe up. And, and oh, go, go ahead. And, and, that, and that lasted from, that lasted from 86, 85, 86. I was just going down like this. And before that, I was up here. After that, I started going like this. Went to jail, got out, went to jail, got out. End up going to the pen. I end up going to the pen. You know, I went to the county jail, got out. I'm be got right back on the shit. Went back to the county jail, got probation, got out after six months. I'm clean. You know, my brother was my brother was a millionaire. He was rich, so he had everything I needed. When I got out, huh? He'll go car. He'll go car. He'll go place. All the shit. I stay clean for. Three days, back on that shit again. Then uh, I one night, one night I'm in Double Rock. I could have got killed. It was several times. God blessed me several times because I've done a lot of stuff that could have got me killed. So I'm in Double Rock, and the Samoans was out there. They hustling, and I walk up tweaking like a motherfucker and grab the Samoans, sack, and I bust and run. Right now, Dreas, when I take off running. It was a it was a wall. So I just jumped the wall. I'm thinking the wall is like, bloop, bloop. Dude, I jumped the wall. It took me 10 minutes to get to the bottom. <laughs> dude, it took me the wall, dude. The wall was dude. I could I went to look at that wall not long ago. It took me hell alone to get all the way to the bottom. They had the fence up, but then after the fence, it was just a long ass drop. So I the Samoans didn't even jump. They ran around because they knew the wall. I'm down there, man, barely can move because my ankle fucked up. Samoans whooping me. Bang, bang, bang. And uh, one of the OGs named Fred, he really made rest in peace. Fred came through. Hey, man, get up off of him. Get up off of him. And they, he pulled his old ass gun out with a barrel this long. <laughs> and he shot it in the air. It was rusty as hell. He shot it in the air, and the Samoans, you know, they got up off me. And, uh, and they let me go. Fred cussed me out, man, told me to take my ass home. I go home. I didn't come outside for like three days. 
After a few days, I come back outside. You know, I'm half I'm sober now for three days. So when I come back outside, the, the Samoans, they still mad. They want to whoop me again. But the homies out there now, like, man, look, we ain't going to let y'all whoop on her. I had a little, I had started because before I got towed up, I was looking out for everybody. Right. You know, so they said, man, we can go, yeah, I'll go one-on-one. You know, and we're going one-on-one, and I won. I, I beat the young dude that they put up against me. And uh, me and him end up eventually becoming cool because we end up going to the penitentiary together. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you, you hear a lot about how crack swept through black and brown communities, and a lot of people got tore up during those times and went from extreme highs to extreme lows. And, you know, you can laugh about it now, obviously looking back at some of these things, but, you know, you were one of those people that got swept up mm -hmm. in this in this epidemic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, were you seeing, like, the, the, the rest of the community going through changes during that time as well? Yeah, and, and you know, my, it's, what's crazy is... Um, you do see people go through it. And I was fortunate. I was fortunate because back in the days, they used to say, if you was towed up, you got rescued. You didn't get arrested, huh? You got rescued. Yeah. Because you wasn't friendly to make no changes. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't going to no drug program, none of that. I, you know, my partner, my partner got at me one day, say, Harm, I got a hundred keys right now. And he'd have them. I knew this dude, he said, I got a hundred keys right now. I give you whatever you want. I said, man, give me $100. <laughs> I'm going to get loaded. He said, man, I ain't fucking with you no more. Huh? Yeah, man. So it's like I've seen people that never got rescued, okay? And if you if you weren't fortunate enough to uh, to pull yourself up by just sure strength uh, or go to a rehabilitation program, Delancey Street, uh, something like that, um, it took me going to the penitentiary. Mm -hmm. Because when I was in jail, I didn't want I would I didn't look for no drugs. I got the Bible, I got the books, I started educating myself, and that's what kept me focused on being clean and sober. You know, but even after after going, I went and done two years in the penitentiary. I done two years in the penitentiary. I'm clean and sober. I get out and I'm looking like I am now. What I'm I think I'm 30 years old, fresh. And I knew what I can accomplish as long as I ain't on drugs. Yeah. So when I got out, I stayed. I, I stayed clean for the first seven days after two years. Can I can I ask you a question real quick mm -hmm. about your time on the inside? Because in your book, you mentioned that you're also like programming with with some BGF. Yeah, and, and BGF cats, Black Gorilla Family, and they had a positive impact on you as well. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Yeah, well, you know, when I um, when I went to the pen, you know, I was I was a shot call for, for you know, the Bay Area 415 car back then, you know. So people, the BGFs, they just was looking at me from a distance, from afar, and like, man, this dude right here got character. You know, let's try to recruit him. So you were kind of like bouncing back to your old self once you got... Oh, yeah, once I was in jail, yeah. I'm, that, uh, yeah. that Herm status. Yeah, the Herm status about. come back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's all about... And that that happens with everybody that go to jail. You can catch a motherfucker out here that's towed up. You go to jail and you get six months in clean and you get your mind back. 
Now your, your true identity starts to surface. But that's still some willpower, right? Because you can still get yeah, access yeah, to, the, yeah. to the things on the inside yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, you gotta you gotta discipline yourself. And one thing about me, I did not want to be in jail tweaking. Yeah, yeah, you know, look. I did not want. No, I didn't want to be in jail tweaking. Yeah. So I didn't even. The temptation was was uh, wasn't wasn't there for me when I was locked up. Yeah. So you know, yeah. So the the, the BGF brothers, they uh, they reached out to me, and I never officially committed, but I had some material, some some literature, that they was provide me. Hey, check this out, young homie. Check this out, and I'm listening. You know, I'm reading it, and the the, the goon squad coming in, in in my cell, and they find the literature. So just having BGF literature is going to get you an indeterminate shoe program. I didn't have no knowledge of this. I'm finna get out next week. Could you imagine that? I done done two years. Next week I'm getting out. Mm-hmm. They find this literature. Then they find a knife. Then they send me to a solitary confinement for a whole nother year. Mm. Yeah, for a whole nother year. And then when they sent me for that whole, that, that extra year, I had just quit smoking uh, cigarettes, Campbell's, and the Brugler. I had just quit smoking that. And um, when I when they put me in the shoe program, the only thing that was in there, and this is what this is where I know God spoke to me just as clearly as I'm speaking to you now. In the in the, in the cell, it had the Bible, which I just started reading, and it had a pack of cigarettes. Mm. And God told me clear as day, if you smoke the cigarettes, you're gonna smoke crack when you get out. If you read the Bible, I'm going to walk you through this year. Dude, I threw the cigarettes out, and the year was like this. Just smooth. Effortlessly. That in solitary. Year, in solitary mm-hmm. confinement. Got out, and that's when I became who I am now. That's quite a story, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If I would have picked up the cigarettes. Yeah. Yeah, God don't play. Uh, I think a lot of people, they don't, they don't, they don't like, they don't put their willpower to the test enough like that. Yeah. Sometimes you have to challenge yourself to cut out certain habits. Yeah. Even if everyone around you is doing it, even if you've been doing it. You, you know, if, you, if you're dealing with any type of addiction, whether it's tobacco, weed, or any alcohol, whatever, you know, moderation, if you can push yourself to just say, you know what, I'm going to just take the weekend off. Yeah. I'm going to go two weeks without it yeah. just to see if you can do it. Yeah. yeah. Once you can get through something like that, you can damn near do anything, yeah. I feel like. Yeah, yeah. And, and you got to, you, you, you're right. You got to challenge yourself and um, and test your your willpower and be like, you know what? I'm not going to indulge for the next couple of days. Yeah. Or you got to make a personal commitment to yourself, like, hey, I'm going to go do this yeah. consistently. for do for, 10 push-ups, yeah, 20 push-ups, yeah. 30 For the rest push-ups. of the week. Yeah. And, and and follow through on it. And when yeah. you follow through on it, you're going to feel good about yourself, and it's going to give you the, the enthusiasm to to do something else productive. So what year do you do you get out of the pen? I got out in... Uh, I got out in... 1989. Mm. I got out in 89. And what was your what was your game plan? And what 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 where were you what were you planning to do moving forward from there? When I got out the pen, man, I, my my I, my my game plan was uh, 
to just associate with positive individuals. Individuals that was hustling, that was kingpins, but they wasn't using no drugs. They was getting thousands of dollars, rubber band stacks. I just want to associate with individuals like that, that had the bins, had the material stuff, and was moving shit majorly, but they wasn't indulging in drugs. Did that require you to cut out certain people, like you mentioned, maybe some of these females or every, some every, other people yeah. that w- wasn't on that level? Yeah, it required me to have, it required me to have the discipline to deal with boredom. Yeah. Boredom, just, you know, I'm with my brother. He was a major, major player. But he's the most bored, He's being with him is boring because he ain't smoking no weed. He ain't drinking. Only thing he doing is lifting weights and talking about getting money and talking about positive stuff. And if you can't associate with him in that in that in that atmosphere, then you're gonna you're gonna be you're gonna be pulling your hair out, you know. So, and anybody else he associated with was on that level, mm-hmm. you know. He would sit down and that's when we was you know write money orders. He probably write five thousand dollars worth of money orders to pay bills, you know, and it, it, that was his thing. That was him getting high. Ah, right, man, we're finna go downstairs and work out. You know, we had the gym downstairs in his house, and uh, everybody from the neighborhood that was, you know, hitting heavyweight would come by, and that was the thing. But if you couldn't be in that atmosphere, if you had to leave here to go over there because you wanted to do something slick, by the time when you got back, he done moved on to the next stage. So you done missed, you done missed the opportunity. So I got to the, I told myself, I'm just going to be with him. And being with him, I ended up being with uh, with other individuals of his caliber. And that, that, that was my game plan, and it was effective. So you, you went back to hustling, but you, you went with a different perspective. When I went back to hustling, I went back to hustling up under, up under his umbrella, mm. right? But... You know, hey, Herm, go drop this off to Drez. Man, hey, Drez, Herm dropping it off. What? <laughs> Tweaking ass, Herm? My shit friend to be short, right? So nobody wanted to Herm dropping it off. So I had to reestablish my credibility. So, you know, I had to drop it off and do the, do everything to perfection to gradually build the trust to where, because if you got to wait on him, you may be waiting until tomorrow. But if he say Herm dropping it off and I drop it off and, and everything is copacetic, then it's good. So I had built that up, built that up, built that up. And then I uh then me and my my then my 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 uh, wife, she passed away. May she rest in peace. Man, her, we moved up to Harbor Road. When we moved up to Harbor Road, I didn't know Black Chris. I didn't know um Booby. I didn't know none of them. The, the big black cats, the RBL, I didn't know none of them. I was just... They were a little I, younger than you. Yeah, they was younger than yeah. me. But when I moved up to Harbor, they never knew me as Toe Up Herm. Mm. When I moved up to Harbor, I was like this. He was fresh Herm. I'm fresh Herm. Yeah. So, and then I got the sack. I had the shit. I had the top of the line shit coming from my, my family. So when I moved up there, I was able to provide them with the top of the line shit. And then I'm, I'm out there, I'm reading my books. Everything that I done in the penitentiary, even when I was hustling, 
I would do on the block. And they'd be like, man, hire him up there reading the book. Hire him up there with the Bible. I'm not trying to introduce nobody else. I'm just doing it for myself. And them guys gradually started coming around. And that's when Black Chris said, man, Herm, we want you to come to the studio and say something on our tape, right? That's when I said uh, on the Lesson to be Learned album. Right. Know, the Bama Weed album. Mm-hmm. You know, that was my first time ever being in the studio. And as we're talking about this time period, too, I imagine when you went in and when you got out, Turfs, the turf wars had kind of started. Yeah. So was that something new that you were seeing yeah. when you when you when, got out? When I got when I went in when I got out, the turf wars was there, but I'm so I'm so um, socially respectful to where nobody ever nobody ever approached me about because when I got I was West Point I stayed in all these areas. So when I got out, it never was, I never was hesitant to go to Double Rock and jump out. I ain't got no, I never was hesitant to go to West Point and jump out. It was always all love, you know. And but then, you know, just knowing that like certain individuals from Harvard, they couldn't go to West Point. West Point couldn't come over here. Or if they did, we'd have a basketball tournament, something that eventually escalate, and it'd be a physical altercation that. Uh, ended up transitioning into some gunplay. And my position was always the peacekeeper. Like, dude, man, y'all don't need to do this. Y'all, man, we need to discontinue this. Man, we need to squash that, you know. So that was always my position, you know. And uh, and initially it was, you know, Harbor Road and West Point, West Point and Oakdale. But then it started becoming a beef within our, the own set. You know, Harbor Road beefing with Harbor Road. West Point beefing with Oakdale or whatever, you know. And the shit just escalated. But it never affected. And I'm I'm, I'm thankful because I'm a gangster. Whatever era that was, that, was, that was affected when I was involved, I was a part of it. If, but if my, my era was basketball, uh, sport, basketball, baseball, when, whatever sporting season, that was what we was doing. And I was a major factor. After that, it was the cars. You know, everybody was, you know, if you weren't hustling about no tennis shoes, if you was a hustler back when we was hustling on third and getting money, we was buying cars. We was having our own apartments. We was having two apartments, you know, because we was getting money like that. You know, we wasn't just hustling to say, oh, man, I'm going to buy a pair of Jordans. I'm going to the mall. We used to go to the We used to do all that. But you know, as as things as things start changing, it never affected me because I never I never was involved. If I was a gangbanger, I would have been a factor because I have always been a factor, and I'm thankful that I wasn't a gangbanger. You know, uh, I missed that era. Well, it sounds like like Black Sea recognized all these things in you. As you being a, a leader, someone who's actually from the streets, from the struggles, been to the pen, got out, kicked, kicked the dope, sold dope, all these trials and tribulations, but still maintain an intelligent, positive perspective. Like, as I'm hearing you tell your story, it just translates so well into the type of talking you do on the record. Mm-hmm. Was that—I mean, that's just kind of— so I, 
like it seems like almost kind of random though that he's just like grabs you like hey just say something like were you surprised or like no because because you know I was always some dudes was younger than me but they 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 admired me because you know I had just moved up there I had I had me a couple of whips um, I had the convertible I had the Cadillac I had a wife I had the son another son. I was raising a family, and and they was right up under me, you know, and they was em- they was ready to emulate that. So I would be out on the block, like, man, come on, let's go work out. We at the gym up on Harvard, you know, outside. We pushed the weight. I'm hitting 400. So all, they was all captivated by that. I used to inspire them to to do the weights, and then uh, you know we'd have grudge matches on the basketball court. We'd go to the gym, have grudge matches on the hoop court, and uh, me. It was it used to be Tilo and me. No, it was no, no. I'm sorry. It was me and Larry, Big Larry, not Larry, not Little Larry June, but his daddy. Mm-hmm. Me and his daddy against Mister C and uh, Tilo. And man, we used to battle. We used to battle. We'd start off out the blacktop down <laughs> on the outside. Then we'd go up to the gym. We put money up. We'd be having battles. And, you know, so all of that was the positivity that I brought that was still in the hood. It was all in the hood, but it was just, I was reachable. So, you know, and I'm reading the books, and I'm, you know, Toto, Chris' brother, he was the youngest, but he was he was real, real intelligent and real gangster. And um, he was like a leader, you know. Chris, Chris, is, Chris is a leader through the music, through the rap, and, you know, just his reputation alone. Toto would be the one that organized and stuff. Let's do this, let's do that. And uh, so Chris came to me and like, Herm, we, we want to get my lawn, my long lawn off. Chris, so Chris would come and say, Herm, hey, we want you to come to the studio. I'm like, all right, cool, I'm there. I go down to the studio with uh, TC. And recorded that song. And the thing about it, I ended up going back to jail, right? I, I prayed on that this, what, five days ago? Well, last week. Because May 1st, 1992, Black Christendom album dropped. Right. That, that first album. Mm-hmm. I'd done that intro on that first album. But I had called a case a year before. I'm... I had like four ounces, and I'm walking, and, and they raided. I threw the fucking shit, and police found it. So I fought the case for a year. The day that they, I didn't know nothing. I wasn't tripping on the popularity or the attention or the recognition I was going to get from what I said on that album. I just, okay, whatever. I turned myself in May the 1st, 1992, to do, uh, to do um, six months. I'm in jail, and, you know, a month goes by, and my wife comes, everybody like what you said on that RBL tape. I'm like, what? I call home, and my sister got it on her voicemail. Then my wife come up with RBL T-shirts on and shit. I'm like, what's going on? Herm, everybody love RBL. So people in the county jail that's coming in is, man, Herm, they loving what you said. So I'm like, okay. So now, 
And I got, I got like, I got like twenty thousand out on the streets, you know, put up. Yeah. So when I get out, I'm, I'm in the music business. Wow. Yeah, I'm in the music business. So I'm walking the, the little yard up at the county jail, do my six months, get out. And this is the thing. I do six months in the county jail in San Bruno. I get out. They accidentally let me out. October, on October the 16th. They, they accidentally let me out. Now, I get my paperwork saying, oh, you're going to be released, whoop, whoop, whoop. But I'm already knowing, in reality, I'm supposed to get released and get shipped to San Quentin to finish my time, right? They accidentally let me out of the county jail, Bruno, right? So I'm like, man, shit, I'm gone. My wife picked me up. It was a Friday. I'm out of here. They let me out. I jump in the yellow Volvo, and we dip off. <laughs> the 49ers playing Atlanta that weekend. We went to the game. We done the nasty. We had sex. We done it again and again. But... At this time, I'm more mature, and I'm respecting the rules and regulations of the law. I got a parole officer. He was a Filipino dude, like 6'5". Like, he was like the biggest Filipino I ever knew. And he was mean as fuck. He said, um, you know, so they had me on high-risk parole. So they accidentally let me out. So I'm thinking like, okay, if I be honest and go down to the parole office, maybe he's going to be like, you know what? We'll scratch the 90 days. Just keep doing good. I go down to the parole office praying, got my son and my wife with me. That motherfucker come out, and as soon as he see me, he threw the cuffs on me. Mm. The next day, I'm in San Quentin. I'm like, my wife crying, the kid crying. I'm in San Quentin the next day. I got to do 90 days. They sent me to, uh, I got that indeterminate shoe program. So they sent me to East Block, where the death row inmates is. I sit up there for 90 days. Get out. And I, I've been out since. Yeah. Yeah, I've been out since, yeah. And, and it's because RBL blew up, neighborhood superstars soon uh, be yeah. Bay Area superstars, yeah. nationwide yeah. superstars. Now you're seeing, and then the response that you're getting, just from speaking on one outro right. or intro, intro on, on, right. on the track, you're thinking maybe this music thing is something that I can do with my life. This is somewhere I could take my hustle that I learned from the streets and now I can apply it to this rap thing. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, when I got out, initially, I wanted to be a motivational speaker. I still do want to be a motivational speaker. You know? So, initially, my plan, when I done the first compilation, that one, mm -hmm. it was, hey, man, I'm going to do a motivational speech, just like I done on the RBL uh, album, on the front and the back. And we on Harvard, just like we normally do. We chopping it up. We chopping it up. And, uh, and uh, Chris, out of all people, like, well, Herman, if you're going to do, you might as well let us do a song on there. How can you turn them down? They the hottest thing in the Bay right now. Okay. I don't have no knowledge of the music business. I'm just like, okay. I got some cash, and and I I'm, I don't, I'm willing to follow somebody else's lead. If you lead me the right way, I can grab your coattail and hold on. Okay, I'm not gonna let you lead me down the ditch. But if it's sincere and authentic, let's roll. So Chris said, "Man, we'll do a song on the B side." I'm like, "Okay," and then um, then rapping Forte pulled up. Like, oh yeah, we talking the music. I put something on there, so I got RBL and rapping Forte, and then Forte. Say, well, man, we can't do the uh, do, do do a compil. I didn't even know what a compilation was. We can't do a compilation if we ain't gonna go get cool, man. 
So, like, man, well, let's get cool now. We get cool now to go meet with them, and we chop it up. And now it's just a snowball effect. So that was your first time meeting those those dudes? Yeah, yeah. Well, I knew Forte. Okay. Yeah, man, Forte done sat down. We done sat in the car and studied together, read the Bible together and stuff like that. But uh, that was my first time meeting Cool Nut. And then, then JT, the bigger figure, he was a star, you know, and he was at the skating ring one day doing a show or something. I said, man, I'm going to go down there and just meet and introduce myself. I go down there, JT, hella cool. Like, oh, no, yeah, big homie, it's good, man. We can do it. So I hook up with JT. He brings San Quinn and uh, Demo. Mm -hmm. And uh, then Fly Nate the Bankster. He had just got out the pen. He dips up. He pulls up and say, um, and just start rapping. We up there kicking. He saw, man, this dude rapped like 36 bars straight. Just spitting. Like, damn, man, we got to get you on the tape, Nate. Then that's how it, that's how it all uh, actually all happened and materialized. And then we just, TC, you know, and uh, the Enhancer, they uh, walked me through, you know, the, the different channels. And I met Victor Hall, went over there and broke him off. And, you know, then after that first album, now I got the wisdom, I got some resources, and people was reaching out to me now. Well, trying to survive in the ghetto, that first compilation, uh, groundbreaking project uh, for for San Francisco, the Bay Area, and the whole West Coast. Um, the Possibly the very first Bay Area compilation. Yeah. Um, compilation originated. Herm Lewis. Herm Lewis, the compilation originated. Remember yeah, that. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, I mean, basically, right place, right time. As, as this Frisco rap scene is growing... But at the same time, it's still uh, grassroots enough that you can pull up on JT at a skating rink. Right, right. The hottest rapper. You see, this is the thing that I really admire about that era is that it's so close to the soil. Yeah. To the, to where you got a cat from Filmo, Fote, mm -hmm. just pulls up on, on, on Harbor one day. Yeah. And that's how the, how the business is transacted. Yeah. And nowadays, it's a little disappointing because you got a lot of cats claiming Frisco or claiming neighborhoods in Frisco, but you you don't run into them. No, and and, and they're they're not connected with what's actually going on in the community, right? And that's what made Frisco so special to me, mm -hmm. as far as music back then. Is that like you would see these dudes around? They were accessible. They were doing shows at the community centers. Oh, yeah, yeah. They were doing shows at the school and and the nightclubs, and yeah. they were just. In the area. In the area. Selsky would come through. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, shit, Demo, everybody. I mean, it was it was just, uh, just like you say, it was, you know, you just see them on third. Right. You know, just at the gym. You know, because back then, coming to the gym was part of it. You know, if you ain't hustling, or if it's slow, off the police just raided, fuck, you can't be out there. So you go to the gym and get in some basketball games. You know, probably shoot some dice or just sit back and chill. Because the police is out there, so you you, you got to know when to... Uh, and then there's certain police would be on at certain times. And certain, man, I'm not going out there. Max come, Max on duty. Max will know exactly what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And if he want to come and see you, he's going to come and see you. So, you know, cats, you know, we had different, uh, different activities to get involved in to... Uh, to just prolong the, your freedom, as well as you know, make it make make some music. 
Well, the compilation was a hit. It was a success. Oh, yeah, major success. So you were getting into the mom and pops. You were getting it distributed. You were out the trunk, posters, flyers, tapes, CDs. Man, it's you're, like, in the game. you're throwing shows. Yeah. You're pulling up at high schools. Yeah, you're doing everything you got to do. Yeah. Investing all the money you had at the time. Exactly, exactly. And it paid off. Exactly, it did. And, um, you know, we even had to show, we had to show over at, uh, what's that, Rasputin's over in Berkeley? Sure. What's that, the Rasputin? record store? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We They had a stage mm-hmm. set up in there, you know, and they wanted us to come, so I grabbed Fote. Uh, cool Nut, RBL, and we all go over there. And we do a show, man, and there's a hell of people out there, college kids. We signing autographs, selling out our music right there. Everybody's shit selling. You know, that was cool. And, um, you know, it's like uh, creative music. Yeah, rest creative in peace, mu- Joe. Creative music, rest in peace, Joe. That was a nice piece you done on him. Right on. Creative music. Gave me, you know, it's always somebody that tap you and just give you that confidence to keep going, to give you that that boat of confidence. Like, man, look, I'm with you. I went over to Creative Music, man. He said, man, I want a box of these and a box of these and a box of these. Give me two of each. I'm like, huh? I wrote the check, and I, I think three weeks later, he wanted, he needed some more. And man, him and his wife established a beautiful relationship. Because of that, because of that, uh, because of that situation, I even purchased them tickets to go to a show one time. It was a, uh, it was an R and B show, you know. I think the OJ's, you know. I, but I bought them two tickets to go, and um, you know, they was just they was they gave me that 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 initial confidence that my shit was was hot. Then I go down to music store on Third Street, sold out. Go to uh, What's that? It was over in Oakland. I think it was T's Wauzies. Mm. Sold out. All these different mom and pop stores. Showtime. Mm-hmm. Open field mall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, all the stores were selling out. And at the time, I only ordered, I only had a purchase. Well, I think I had, I had a thousand CDs and a thousand cassettes. That shit was gone. Bang. So I, I, I ordered 3,000 and 3,000. Gone. Now, City Hall and music people is tapping tapping in. Music, I'm, I'm scared of music people after they, after the relationship they, they had with RBL. And RBL was my loved one. So I'm like, man, I'm not friend to deal with them under no circumstances. They got to pay up front because I knew the trials and tribulations that the young homies that went through getting money from them. Yeah. So I wasn't friend to deal with that. So I said, uh, so I went to so uh, Frankie J, Frankie uh, Frankie J, rapping forte manager, got at me and said, "Herm, uh, Walter over at City Hall want to speak to you about your, your your album." I'm like, "All right." So I go over to Walter City Hall, and he say, um, "How many you got?" So I got three thousand cassettes and three thousand CDs. Say, "I want to buy them all. When are you gonna get some more?" I'm like, he said, "Cause these are gonna be gone." Now, I'm like, okay, I still got a few dollars, and I got money coming in. So I called the girl Violet from uh, Rainbow Records. I don't know if you know them. She was real cool. I never met her personally, but I know E-40 and all of them knew her personally. And she knew of me, 
and she knew how my music was selling. So I called her. She said, Hern, listen, this is what we're going to do. We're going to front you 10,000 CDs and 10,000 cassettes. And when you sell out, you just bring us bring in the money. Because she knew what was happening, too. Mm-hmm. They was more knowledgeable than me. So I get to 10,000, take them to City Hall. I get broke off. Everything sell through. Then it sailed through, and it kept selling. Now, initially, when I put that album out, my objective was, and everybody had the same objective. We was going to sell locally in Hunters Point, you know, maybe a few people in Sunnydale. You know, we're going to just be Fillmore. The people that was on the table was going and that shit just kept, it, it just built a snowball effect, and it kept selling. It's amazing, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kept That's selling. amazing, bro. It kept selling, you know. And uh, that was a beautiful thing. Fun, fun time. You know, and I appreciate, and I appreciate every, everything about that album, the experience, the studio sessions, um, the after effect, you know, it wasn't no animosity, you know, everybody was, everybody got properly compensated because there wasn't no expectations. And I never fell out with nobody. Nobody never fell out with me. And the people that I worked with back then, I could still work with today. That's what's up, man. You know. And that's uh, Frisco's finest. Yeah. IMP, Fote, RBL, Cold World Hustlers, Sugar Bear, Selsky, oh. yeah. Get Low Players, Fly Nate. Dope, yeah. man. Yeah. And it's interesting because it almost seems like Master P was taking notes because oh. his compilation features some of the same artists. Oh, yeah. And features you yeah. on the intro right. over a Selsky beat. Right. Right. Doing, <laughs> doing your thing. Yeah, yeah. And Master P, Ma- Master, he was he was taking notes. And Master P was, you know, he capitalized on the momentum that I built. Because it came right after. It came right after. West Coast and, Bad Boys. And, and, and what happened is, because uh, Master P had had that album, 99 Ways to Die, with the two guns. Yeah. And none of the, none of the major record stores would carry that album. Because of the two guns. Mm. So he sort of like threw that under the on the shelf. And he came, when he seen the, the success of the trying to survive in the ghetto, like this motherfucker don't even rap. And he's selling these kind of so Master P, he had already at a record store. He had already Yeah, were you dealing with him at his record store? No, as well? I, yeah, I did so I didn't but I didn't know him. Right. I didn't know Master P uh-huh. until he until he reached out to me about being doing the intro on his album. I knew of his music. So he got at me, say, uh, Hermie, I'm trying to do a compilation. I want you to do, uh, we was in the studio like this. He slid through. I think uh, I was there. There's a few other people there. He came in there, man, broke me off, broke this person off. Said, man, I'm trying to go over. He was just moving, right? So we recorded this thing. Then he wanted to do the uh, video. And it was cool. It's, he capitalized on what he seen that was effective. And then he used all the artists that I had. But then he had a Sibo. Mm-hmm. He had a Spice, well, Spice One. I don't know if Spice One was well, on no, there. Uh, what's the name from, from L.A.? Uh, uh, it was like Ray Love was on there. Love, totally insane. Totally insane. It was more like a Bay Area yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you it, it were it just spin, like Frisco. Right, 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 yeah. right. Right. And he had, uh, I know he had Sibo on there, didn't he? Yeah, Sibo yeah, was on yeah, there as well. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and, it was, it was, and it was cool. And it took off. And, you know, that right there is what put him in position to go down to New Orleans. Yeah. Because at the time, him and the loonies had just started to beef. 
over the ice cream man situation. And Master P said, you know what? And he moved down to New Orleans and took all the Bay Area game down there. And he capitalized again. He capitalized on the initial compilation. But then when he went to New Orleans with this Bay Area game, he capitalized again. Mm -hmm. Because back then, New Orleans, see, this is a lot of people don't realize. Seattle, Portland, New Orleans, Detroit, they was our biggest fans. Right. Because they didn't have hot local right. rappers. They didn't have a scene of their own. Yeah, yeah. They, exactly. Right. They didn't have a scene of their own, so they was like on the Bay Area stuff. And then once they established a scene of their own, Mystical was one of the first ones from New Orleans. And I was in New Orleans in 96, and I met Mystical, and he was he was hot back then. You know, and I, I brought, I'm the one gave RBL Black Chris, the, the mystical CD. Mm. Cassette. Chris played that cassette on Harbor every day until it popped. Mm. And then he ended up doing the song with him. Well, speaking of RBL, I mean, that's a group that's that's tied to your story. And, uh, I, and I also read about this in your book, that you were basically seeing everything go down when Harbor Road had a split between... Uh, basically the big block faction coming in and RBL kind of having problems in their own neighborhood, which eventually led to, to Mr. C being killed. Mm -hmm. What was your perspective of, of seeing all that go down? It was, it was depressing. It was sad because um, it was so much talent among everybody, you know, and, and the big block guys, they had talent. But the RBL had already established something. And my, my, you know, I just, I just was under the impression, like, you know, let's just, let's, let's, let's roll with RBL as, you know, the front runner. And Big Block, we can, because Sugar Bear was, was going to be next, next up, up under the RBL umbrella until Big Block established their own thing and they took Sugar Bear. But, if Big Block would have, if Sugar Bear would have went with RBL, could you imagine a Sugar Bear album right after that compilation? Yeah. Because everybody was on him. He had like the first song so, on there. Yeah, coming up out the cut. Yeah. Everybody wanted Sugar Bear. Okay. Um, but he ended up he ended up signing with Big Block and he lost some momentum because Big Block Booby, he didn't put it out. In a timely fact, he eventually put it out, but by the time he put it out, he had lost a lot of momentum. But I was just like, if it would have came out up under RBL right way production, like they thought it was, then Hitman. Yeah. Okay. That right. That, so we had RBL, we got Sugar Bear, we got Hitman. Then Booby, I mean, Booby, Booby wasn't necessarily a rapper. He was, but he was knowledgeable and he was very influential. Yeah. And, you know, it's my thing was, dude, this is a position for everybody. Let Chris and Mr. C do that music's part of it. I was carrying the bag, so I didn't give a fuck. I'm hiring anyway. I'm hiring wherever I go. So I can carry the bags, walk through the airport. I just like being in the atmosphere, you know? Uh, Man, Booby could have been on that same page. You know, we could have been, because we was factors. Booby was a factor. I was a factor. He could have had big block records. 
I got Black Power records, but we could have just stayed up under the RBL umbrella. Yeah. That was just my how I thought about it. And got nothing but love for Booby, Big Block, and the people that's associated. Got nothing but love in my allegiance to RBL and everything that Black Chris is committed to. And um, and the thing about it is what I love about uh, Booby and I love Black Chris both of them, both of them came to me and say, Herm, you the only one that can fuck with both of us. Because you the position that you hold right now is the position that you held from the beginning. I never sided on big block. I never sided with I just, man, look, I'm rolling the right here. I respect you. Cause you know, and it was always love. And Booby and Chris, they both respected that. And um uh, now that you know, Booby done what twenty years. Chris been out here handling his business. He have lost uh, uh, Mr. C. He have lost Hitman. He lost his baby's mother recently, and and you know he's going through. He done been through a lot of trials and tribulations. Booby done twenty years, and he done been through. So at this stage of the game, we all we grandparents now. So everybody have everybody. And I'm not going to just jump out there, but I just feel like everybody have have uh, matured to a certain level now to where it's like, okay, let's let's just keep on living. Yeah, for sure. You know, let's just keep on living and let's see where it, where, where, where it ends. Hopefully, I mean, where, where, not where it ends, but let's keep on living and hopefully someday we can all sit at and do something like this together. Yeah, that would be dope. That would be dope as hell. Yeah. If we can all... and. Herm, Booby, Chris, we can all sit at the table and talk about Harbor Road and possibly do a reunion and bring everybody together. But it gotta be, it gotta be sincere, it gotta be authentic, and it got it can't be no betrayal. Right. Okay, because that and 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 you can't have no uh secret agenda to where you know, Herm done put his name out there. Chris done made a, we all done made a commitment to bring everybody together. And then there's one person that's still holding animosity from 20 years ago. And, and, and you know, no, we don't want to do that. So that's why with the, with the RBL, the big block, is real delicate. And you got to be real selective on what you say and how you say it. I think people can learn a lot from your example of how you're involved to the extent where you know both these brothers and people on both sides, but you're not part of the politics and you're not feeding into to negativity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that says a lot to your character. And as we're going through this timeline, I mean, you just keep doing your thing. You, you appeared on RBL's second album, um, you're dropping the second compilation. Yeah. Still trying to survive in the yeah. ghetto. And that's kind of like a new generation of Frisco artists. Yeah. Or newer or just different where you got, now you got 11.5 on there. Mm-hmm. And Primo, Dre Dog. Uh, you're doing the Cricket Crow. <laughs> yeah. Herm right. Luke, surviving in the ghetto too. <laughs> <laughs> the Cricket Crow, City of the Players, Primo. Yeah, man. There's some classics on there yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. 11.5. Yeah, so were you were you just seeing it's the situation where you're just like, oh, I could just keep doing this. I yeah, could, I could yeah. just keep banging these out. Yeah, you know, like I say, I'm an extremist, and when I've got something that's going good, 
in a positive direction, I take it to the extreme. And that's been what I've been doing since I've been cleaning this over. If it's productive and positive, I'm going to take it to the extreme and try to maximize and benefit as much as possible. Um, so, yeah, yeah, the compilation, man, it was just fun. It was fun. And then it was fun, and then it was also giving people opportunities. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you're putting people on. Yeah. And then giving them hits. Yeah, too. yeah, 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 yeah. Giving people opportunities. Did you see, was there a point where it just kind of slowed down or it dried up or you just felt like, eh, I'm finna start doing some other things? Well, just what it was is, uh, let me tell you this. The, uh, what's that, Funky Fat Graphics. You done something on Funky Fat yeah, Graphics yeah, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. liked it there no too. Right on. Okay, Funky Fat Graphics, the guy over there, I forgot his name. What was his name? Uh, uh, um, I forgot his name. Oh, man. I, but anyway, I know it. I can't anyway, anyway, he used to he used to always get at me because I was You're talking get, about the one of the brothers, right? Yeah, the two brothers. There's two brothers. Yeah. But anyway, he used to always get at me like, Herm, when are you gonna come and see me and let me do some graphics and whoop, whoop, whoop. And I would always I was dealing with Victor Hall. You know, because Victor Hall was ready, he was he was just tight to me. But on my Herm 2000 compilation, I went to uh, Funky Fat Graphics. Thomas and Tracy. Thomas and Tracy. That was the last, my album was the last album to come out of that facility. The Herm 2000, right? The reason why, they just shut the doors right. and left. And the, and the brother who had just, I think his name was Janelle, he had just got out the feds. And he knew of my penitentiary uh, associates or whatever. And he said, man, we can't close the fucking facility without Herm getting his shit. I gave them like 20 racks. And they was from the clothes. Janelle came in and said, man, we got to make sure Herm get his stuff. Went over there and got my stuff. And the next day, they was closed. Building locked up. I got a big-ass U-Haul and took everything to City Hall and dropped it off. And yeah, yeah. So you're, I mean... And, and that right there was, uh, that's when... That's when my enthusiasm started to de decrease a little bit because, because um, I got paid for that album, and that album sold good, but no album could sell like this one. And Walter over at City Hall told me, say, Herm, let me tell you something. That first compilation... You don't get them type of miracles every 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 time you release an album. Yeah. Because I was going up there thinking I'm trying to get that type of uh, response every time, and it don't happen. So the Herm 2000, that, that dropped. And then, you know, City Hall wasn't paying people, and they was talking about chargebacks and all this other bullshit. Everything didn't sell through, and people was just getting frustrated with them. So... Brandon, you know Brandon? Brand one? Brandon from, he from Oakdale. He used to fuck with the Cold World Hustlers in 11.5. Oh, I'm not sure. Anyway, he had a gig up at Bayside Records in Sacramento. I go to the delinquents party over in San Francisco. The delinquents had a record release party. And I run into JT, the bigger figure. And JT, you know, he got this, he got this, he got this influence on me. I run into JT, the bigger figure. He said, Herm, what is you waiting on? Man, the people need to hear from you, Herm. You need to go drop a compilation, man. What is you waiting on? I'm like, JT, man, I'm burnt out. 
He said, man, look, I got a plug for you, man. I can get you 50000 man. Go drop a compilation and get at me. So I was like, you going to be on it? So I get here. I get all the guys, everybody. This right here is uh, Back in Stride again. I got everybody on this tight, tight album. And showing up, I take it up to Bayside Records, and they wrote me a check for 50 racks. Mm. That's why, you know, through the JT connection. And once he introduced me, I took it from there. But I got a check for 50 racks for my Back in Stride album, you know. And and then that album sold good. And uh, then I ended up doing a. Then my boy had a, my boy had, a, he was doing a compilation. And he had, um, he had a song with Keith the Sneak. And he just had a verse with Keith the Sneak. And he had a verse with somebody else. And he was stuck. He had ran out of money. Hey, man, what you can you help me? So I jumped in and helped him. And I think we called that uh We Made It Happen. That was a compilation. And it done cool. Went through uh, Bayside Records also. Then after that, I just, you know, the digital thing took over. Yeah. Yeah. I think with this first compilation, it was just the right place, right time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Frisco, yeah. Bay Area history. It yeah. was all new. Yeah. It was just coming out. Yeah. I mean, for me, I I can't. I started making music right when CDs was about to die completely. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm like probably one of the last generations that was CDs. grew up like I went going to creative music. Uh-huh. You know, I'm probably one of the last ones. <laughs> one of the last customers. Yeah, and that was me right. at like 19. You right, feel right, me? Right. Like trying to get my foot in the door. Right. And I think between all like so many artists coming out. The, the market being saturated, the sales being low, yeah. the internet, all these things, it's just, it yeah. ain't like it used to be. No. Um, I feel like, though, you made history, you paid your dues. I think also what's really important is you put a lot of positive messages out there. Bro. I appreciate that, man. Yeah. I, I really appreciate that. And, 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 you know, I appreciate that because I want to, you know, you want to you wanna get... You want to be acknowledged for your contribution. Yeah. You know, in the music business, I'm a, I'm a factor. I've been a factor, and even today, I'm still reveling. Well, one, one thing that I think keeps you relevant in, in today is for younger people who weren't around at all for that era that we're talking about huh. is uh, showing up on Larry June's albums. Oh, yeah, that was big. I yeah. think just even some of the young younger people that follow me, I feel like that's how a lot of them are getting introduced to you. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, uh, for those who don't know, um, explain your relationship with, with Larry and what's it been like to to be featured on some of his projects. Uh, my relationship, with, that's my nephew, you know, and um, he used to he used to come around to the house when he was like seven, eight. 10 years old when I was the star. I was a star. I was him. Where he at now? And I used to, like, my my garage, he'd come in there and just look in amazement, like, and see all the pictures, see his daddy posted, because his daddy had a compilation mm. called The Pusher Man. You mm. ever seen that? Nah. Man, look at that up. The, the Pusher Man compilation. Okay. This fool, <laughs> this daddy got a compilation, and it was uh, The Pusher Man compilation. He had some everybody on there. Mm. And... The album cover was a triple beam with CD with with cassette tapes Maybe stacked I on it. Is that sounds kind yeah of yeah the triple beam yeah. man yeah that's my so 
I had all these posters and stuff up, and Lil Larry used to come through, and he used to just be like, in amazement. I never thought nothing of it, but he had this conversation with me just recently. Like, oh, I used to come there, man. I used to be amazed. You know, I'd come in there your house. I'd see Be Legit hanging around and rapping for taste. Say, man, that was, that was, I, I was impressed with that. And say, man, you had a big influence on me. You never know what type of influence you have on an individual. Yeah. When they're younger or even at an old age. And when he told me that, I'm like, oh, man, cool. So he had just hit me out the clear blue. I've been, you know, I've been on his music, but my my son is and him is the same age. Mm-hmm. So I said, I see Lil Larry. He had a show coming up in San Francisco. I said, I'm not even going to call him and tell him I'm coming or nothing. I'm just showing up. I'm just showing up. So I show up, go to the show, get in there, man. Black Chris and them in there, they performed that night. And, um, dude, this packed. Yeah. All these different people in there. And everybody in there smoking weed. I'm talking about from the beginning of the stage all the way to this cloudy. I go downstairs to his VIP area, and he got nothing but fruit, oranges, water, everything organic. <laughs> I'm impressed. So my son is putting me up on what Lil Larry is about. And I'm like, man, that's cool. He got to be different. So when he come up to perform, dude, he a rock star. Chris is on this side of the stage, Black Chris, and I'm on this side of the stage. And we we looking at Lil Larry just got the crowd captivated. And Chris looked at me and I looked at him and say, man, he's a fucking rock star. And he just had the crowd jumping. And um, a couple of weeks later, he hit me like, I want you to come to the studio and drop some uh, knowledge on my on the album. I'm like, I'm there. And one thing about it, you know, uh, you know, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. Sugar Free said, you know, opportunity may present itself and you want to always be prepared. So I stay writing, you know, and I write stuff for individuals like Master P. Right. Ice Cube, E-40. One of them guys happened to call me. I'm not going to have to go from scratch. Mm. I got some shit that's, that's going to captivate the attention of the people. So I keep, you know, four, five things that's in the cuts, right? So when Larry hit me, I know I'm like, man, I got to come right. And when I came, went to the studio, and he was impressed. He's like, oh, Huck, this is good, this is good. And I, I got on there. And I accumulated so many new fans by being affiliated with him to where I'm at events now, and my partner's daughter... Or her, my partner's son, he's like, man, is that her? Is that the one that's on Larry Jones' tape? And they say, yeah. And they looking at me like I'm a star, but but the, but they daddy's like, that's her. Right. But the, the kids is looking at me, that's her. That's her. That's Uncle her. <laughs> so I love it, man. I love it. You know, it's like, it's like uh, he extended, he extended my career. You know, he extended my career. And just same with Black Chris. And Black Chris said it all the time. It's like, he dusted me off. He dusted Black Chris off. And that's that's giving back. Right, because right, right, right. if you look, he been influenced by Black Chris, Mr. C, RBL Posse. He been influenced by that. And so he wanted to give back. And what better way to give back is than to um, dust... Um, uh, 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 used to be platinum artists off and give them that shine. For sure. So he can continue to eat. 
Yeah, man. Same with me. You know, it created more more opportunities for me just being affiliated with him. So yeah, it's good. Same with you. All oh, right, on brother. Same shit. Life, yeah. Likewise, yeah, feel yeah, the same yeah, way, yeah. man. Um, I'm I'm honored to to be building with you. I'm honored to have built this relationship with you as someone who grew up listening to you and RBL and, and uh, all the other artists we've mentioned on this platform. My thing here with the history of the Bay is bringing these generations together and hopefully putting some content out there that may outlive both of us. That's it. That That's future it. generations can see and look back on and learn from. Mm -hmm. And where we started in this episode from your beginnings at Hunter's Point to now, you're, you're a new age 2023 rock star <laughs> with Larry June. <laughs> I mean, it's dope, bro. Right and uh, uh, there's space to keep going. Yeah. And it's, uh, you, you mentioned you're in your 60s and you still look good and you're still healthy. And um, and your son's doing big things, yeah. too. Shout out so, to Lil so, Herm. So what do you do? Jr. Yeah, so what do you do? Real cool, cool brother. I got the chance to build with him, too. And, uh, man, I'm excited to see where you go from here, man. And uh, anything you ever need, you know I'm a phone call away. Good luck. And um, I appreciate you. Vice versa. Through, Vice versa. Appreciate it. Any final words out there for the people watching? Man, um, stay positive. Stay productive. Tap in and check out Blackboard Wednesdays. Um, episode 41 is dropping tonight. And I'm just going to continue to do these because... And I did the artwork for, for Blackboard Wednesdays. And Dreads Wednesdays. did the yeah. artwork for Blackboard Wednesdays. And, you know, it's, it's a privilege to be collaborating with him. And like I say, I'm an extremist. So when I'm fortunate to meet quality people that's, uh, that's reliable and dependable and, and, and get results, I come back and I come back. So I'm a phone call away, just like I know Dreads is a phone call away. Same with uh, Larry June. Same with my son, Andre, at So What Do You Do? Um, Blackboard Wednesdays is something that I do just to keep myself uh, relevant, keep myself uh, in position to express my thoughts because I'm constantly reading. I'm constantly trying to expand my vocabulary. I'm constantly trying to acquire new knowledge. And, you know, um, people need to hear something productive, something positive. We all going to hear a lot of negativity. We all going to hear about the violence, about the gang activity. But sometimes, you know, you could take five minutes out your busy uh, busy day and listen to something productive and positive, and it could possibly get you through from the middle of the week to the end of the week. That's it. That's all I got to say. One love, peace. And power to the people. That's what's up. And sometimes I just go and I listen to some of those intros and shit when I need a little pick-me-up. Let me go listen to some Herm real quick. <laughs> and for those out there wondering if he's ever going to drop another compilation, I've been asking him. We'll see. We'll see. But just know I, I'm, I'm pushing for it. I, I want to see at least one more before you, before you clock out. Man. It's, it's a possibility. It's yeah, a possibility. It's yeah. a possibility. Herm Lewis, still trying to survive in the ghetto. Black Power Productions. History of the Bay. Peace. Peace. Recognize where you got the game. We got our own style, got our own slang. Northern California is a West Coast thing. This is the history of the Bay. Recognize where you got the game. We got our own style, got our own slang. Northern California is a West Coast thing. This is the history of the Bay.